We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Today, we're going to talk about the Lakers' couple of games in China. We're probably going to stay away from the geopolitical stuff as they are back and safe and sound. Uh, Anthony Davis hurt his thumb in the second game, and um, he has an MRI set for Monday. Uh, Mike Crudell just said that they will uh, probably release an update on that right before the game. They're going to have a shoot-around at Staples Center, so probably not their normal shoot-around uh, at the practice facility, which is what they normally do. And on it's usually around 11 a.m. on game days, and so we would usually give updates you know, from a media perspective at that time. They're not going to do that, which makes sense. They just had this long flight back from China. It's ridiculous that they're playing on Monday in the first place. So get these dudes as much rest as they can do, you know, walk through it at, uh, at Staples Center. Hopefully nobody that important plays too much and just get that game out of the way. So anyway, we don't know what the update is with Anthony Davis, but we are going to talk about what we did see in those couple of games in China. Um, I'd like to start Darius with the lineup, specifically the guard rotation. This has been something that we've been discussing quite a bit. Uh, in the first game against Golden State, it was Avery Bradley and Danny Green in the backcourt alongside LeBron, AD, and JaVale McGee. Uh, in the second game, they replaced three of those guys. So McGee came out and Howard went in. Uh, you had Rondo in for Bradley and I believe KCP in for Danny Green. That's right. Uh, in this last game, they had a small ball lineup. So they had uh, AD at the five. They had LeBron in there. 
uh, Rondo and Bradley in the backcourt, along with Danny Green at the three. So Vogel's trying a few things, which is what the preseason is for, especially for a new team with a lot of new pieces and a new coach. But I'm curious, what are your thoughts on a guard rotation that I would say, like, nobody's really emerged, nobody's really played well amongst the guards? What what have you seen so far? I would say no one's really played well offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's probably the qualifier I would make there. I mm-hmm. think Danny. That's fair. I think Danny Green's look good defensively for the most Mm -hmm. part in most of his minutes there's been a couple of things that he's done at the point of attack but if you go back and listen to some of our previous conversations about Danny Green and his point of attack defense you would know that that's probably one of the weaker areas of his defensive arsenal and everything else he's really pretty good at and I think overall those other things he's been good at if we're looking at the guard rotation I think you're right no one's really separated themselves too much which would have me lean towards the players who I think should probably get more burn one of the names you've left out in terms of getting a start Starting chance is Alex Caruso. Caruso didn't look that great in China. Maybe in the first game, he looked better. In the second game, I wasn't super impressed with him either. No, and I think he shot like one for 13 from the field. I would argue, however, that he is a guy who is more suited to play alongside LeBron. He had great chemistry with him last year. Caruso's been in a ton of ball screen situations. This is something Cranjus and I were discussing recently. And like that's not the type of scorer he is, right? So if you ask Danny Green to handle the ball, or you ask Javel McGee to be a a stretch five or, you know, like if you put any player in circumstances that are outside of their skill set and ask them to do that over and over and over again, yeah, you're going to look at the box score at the end and be like, that guy played like crap. And even when you watch the tape, right, I would argue that Caruso and Danny Green offensively are being misused. And that's the ground zero issue because Caruso's defended well when he has played along the starters or at least the, the top rotation guys. He was really good in that first half of that Brooklyn game, first game in China. Caruso is a guy that I wouldn't, the box score is, I think, a little bit deceptive in terms of, you know, you could argue, well, he doesn't, doesn't deserve you know, he went one for 13 and played generally not well on offense, at least. I think he's been the best guard defender of the bunch. But you could argue that he doesn't deserve to get those minutes. I would argue that guys like Rondo, Bradley, etc., all benefit from the attention that LeBron and AD yes. gets and that a guy like Caruso is not benefiting from that. I got in a quasi argument with someone in my mentions about Rondo. So shame on me. <laughs> right. Um, but the gist of it was, is that Rondo's played well. Look at his counting stats. Look what good chemistry he has with Anthony Davis, which I agree to a certain extent. He does have good chemistry with Anthony Davis. But one of the points I was making or trying to make in this back and forth conversation that I was having was that Rondo benefits greatly from Anthony Davis, right? It's not like Mm -hmm. Rondo's making Anthony Davis better. You know what I mean? Because he can throw a lob or he can read when Anthony Davis has leverage and is going to spin out of a post up in order to catch a lob or he can catch this pocket bounce pass. Right. Like it's not the Rondo part of the equation. That's the special part. It's the AD part, right? And another, you could replace that with another guard and approximate it. I'd still argue Rondo is probably our best pick and roll guard, which is a problem yes. in and of itself. But if you replace that with a Caruso or with, I, I'm really excited to watch Quinn Cook get healthy and uh, you, like most other guys, will be able to make the type of plays. It's the Anthony Davis factor that makes it special and, and really inflates what Rondo does. Yeah. So let's take a detour here and let's talk about, you said, let's talk about the guard rotation. I want to ask you a question. Have you been happy with the deployment 
of players. Like, forget X's and O's. I know it's preseason. I know Frank Vogel's been trying a bunch of things, and I don't want to turn this into a Vogel bash session. What have you thought, though, about just the general deployment of lineups, personnel groupings, who he's trying, with who and when? And does that stuff line up with things that you'd like to see? Or are you sort of like scratching your head like, do we really need to see this just to confirm something that you already thought that wasn't necessarily a positive outcome anyway? So I am generally unhappy uh, with what Vogel's done in terms of deploying lineups and like how these pieces fit together. Uh, I was talking to Alex Regula today from Silver Screen and Roll, a really good writer and somebody should be following if you're not following him. And we were, we were talking about this. We were talking about specifically the stagger screens. I'm working on a video right now. Brooklyn really locked down our shooters in China by top locking, which is when you don't allow a shooter to come out of the corner and use a screen, usually on stagger screens or a wide pin down of sorts. And you don't allow him to use the screen. You send him in the other direction, sort of like an off-ball version of what you do on an ice pick and roll coverage, if you're familiar with that. And there were a couple of things. There's, for one, our counters to the top locking were bad. We kept doing kind of the wrong thing time and time again. And secondly, a lot of those plays were like Avery Bradley coming out of the corner and being asked to be the shooter, right? Rather than somebody who's a better shooter than Avery Bradley is. There's something fundamentally flawed with putting him in that position in the first place. What Alex said that I thought was really interesting and, and made be giving Vogel more of a benefit of the doubt than he deserves. Uh, but this is kind of, it's it's reasonable enough to be like, yeah, I could see that. And that's what I'm hoping for is that there's, the Lakers have a lot of injuries right now, man, to shooters who are important to the team, to Quinn Cook, Kyle Kuzma, even though Kuz did not shoot well from three last year, he is a threat. He can come off of a screen and not just you know, rise up and shoot the three, but attack the basket off of a curl, off of a back cut. Um, th- that's one of the things you can do to top locks is to back cut it. And you saw KCP and Avery Bradley do that and then get their shot blocked at the rim as a result of that or miss a layup, right? So in terms of the deployment, there aren't a lot of great options right now to work on these type of things. And Alex's point or suggestion is, well, maybe there's more value in putting a Danny Green. So so Danny Green is a good shooter, but he's more of a stationary type of guy, right? So he might not be the guy in ideal circumstances that you put in the corner and ask to come off of a stagger screen, get his feet set and raise up and hit a jumper. There's probably value in having Green continue in the spot that you ideally want him to be on the weak side and have Danny Green get reps in those situations situations that are similar to the reps that he's going to get in the regular season. Then put somebody in in lieu of, you know, Kyle Kuzma, Quinn Cook, Troy Daniels, even if they suck at what you're asking them to do, you're getting green and other guys reps in the positions that they're supposed to get into. So that to me is the best argument for what Vogel's been doing in terms of deployment. But on the, on the flip side of things, like lineups that have like Rondo and Bradley together, man, you're making life so hard on LeBron and Anthony Davis with that type of shooting. Two guys out there, especially if you've got a big out there too. Um, it's it's just really, really tough to do that to your prime players, right? So there haven't been a lot of lineups where I'm like, oh yeah, that's really, that makes sense to me. I, I also want to give some degree of benefit of the doubt with the injuries. I didn't even mention Jared Dudley, who's another floor spacer. I want to give benefit of the doubt that the spacing issues, which is really what I think is the core issue of why the 
offense hasn't been particularly good, that that will be resolved once we start getting guys back. What have you seen in that deployment sense? I hate to turn this into like, let's bash Rajon Rondo. So I'm not going to go into a bunch of details about his game. I think he's been fine for the most part. What I will say though is I have not liked the grouping from the standpoint of what players he's put out there to start the games as well as what his substitution patterns have been and how Rondo has been someone who has played a lot of minutes next to LeBron. Mm -hmm. I think Vogel is seemingly thinking the Rondo-LeBron pairing can be a good one. And you really dislike that. That's something that you've said multiple times that you really dislike that pairing. Well, that's wrong. So no, no, you're right. Frank Vogel's wrong, oh, right? Gotcha. Even if Rondo and LeBron end up having that pairing, the Lakers end up being a net positive from a net rating standpoint with both of those guys on the floor. I think that that's likely going to be circumstance based off of the amount of talent that's on the floor and not necessarily reflective of the fact that the Rondo-LeBron pairing works in, in a real way. Yeah, it's hard to have a negative Nate rating when you have LeBron on the floor. Rondo was the only main rotation guy who fit that description last year. Everybody else on a sub 500 team had a plus net rating. And when you add Anthony Davis to that equation, like if you're on the floor with them, like, your plus minus is going to be artificially inflated as a result. Yeah, of I that. just think that it's it's likely that two of the players who are real lineup lifters have then lifted a lineup. One of the issues though that I have with this specific time with deploying Rondo so much with LeBron is that there's really not a player that can replicate some of the things that Rondo does as sort of this quasi floor leader. Mm -hmm. And if Vogel really values that with Rondo and the only other guy who does that really for this team right now with a certain amount of stature um, and presence is LeBron James, I think that the answer should be to play those guys, to stagger them to extreme levels. And I think Vogel has gone the opposite way. He has started Rondo one game Rondo's been really the sixth man and is coming in for a guard and playing next to LeBron for a good stretch of his first shift. I have not been happy with that. I was not happy with sort of pairing Rondo with Avery Bradley and thinking that that's going to be sort of something that you need a good look at. You're going to start a center, either JaVale or Dwight. Anthony Davis is going to start at at power forward. LeBron James is going to start at whatever he starts at. Danny Green's the fourth Mm -hmm. starter. And the fifth starter to me is sort of up for grabs. We can talk about the utility of having Avery Bradley there. We can talk about the utility of having Rajon Rondo there or Contavious Caldwell-Pope there or even Quinn Cook, who we haven't seen, or Alex Caruso there. Of all of those names, I am adamant that the player who should not be in that position is Rajon Rondo. Let, let me ask you this. Yes. Playing playing some devil's advocate here. You know how like Anthony Davis will play the five spot, but the argument is that you don't want him to go through the wear and tear of having to do that while starting games. And, you know, you want to pick your spots with that. I think there's an argument to be made that if Rondo is the only other guy that is a real floor general leader type of guy on the team, is there an argument to be made that you don't want LeBron to have to do that for 82 games? It's in that, like, when it comes down to it, you want LeBron to be the guy on the court that is handling those ball handling responsibilities 
responsibilities and then Rondo becomes a background player in that respect. That's great, but you don't want him absorbing that load to start the game every game for 82 games into the playoffs. There's an argument to be made for that. It's just that then give the ball to Alex Caruso and let him do it. What do you lose? I, I'm trying to get into Vogel's side. So you know I'm, I agree with everything you're saying here. Sure. I'm trying to get into Vogel's psyche. What do you lose going from Rondo to Caruso that would necessitate like making that decision to stick with Rondo in that spot? I think you lose presence. I think what does that you, mean? That's such a that's a, such a vaporous word. Like, what what does that mean in a in a way that I can see with my own eyes when I watch a game? Rondo has a certain amount of command and control, and those are two other words that basically don't tell you anything, right? It, <laughs> but but it's sort of like you know it when you see it. I sure. know that you're asking me these questions from the standpoint of someone who doesn't already agree with mm-hmm. me. And mm-hmm. I know that when I say those words, you likely know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That said, Rondo is very good at taking control of a possession and basically getting everyone aligned, mm-hmm. barking out where like where people should be, being authoritative with how he gets the beginning of a play organized in order to execute something. Every time Rondo has the ball, he has an idea of what should happen, and he is good at getting people in places where the thing that he envisions is then going to get executed, right? Love that. That's perfect. So he has command and control when... It's, it's like that Tom Hanks movie that's become a meme, right? Where the guy says, I'm the captain now, right? right? So you give the ball to Rajon Rondo and Rondo is saying, I'm the captain now. Like mm-hmm. everyone go, you go stand over there. You guys are going to be here. We're running fist up or whatever, right? I just made up a play call that probably doesn't even exist within the Lakers playbook, but we're running this. This is how it's going to happen. Everyone get to your spots. This is what we're doing. And there is a command he has with that because he has all of this respect built up over the course of a long and good career, right? With a championship pedigree and all-star nods and all kinds of other stuff, right? So to me, those things matter less, but I'm not coaching the team, right? I'm not the one who has to handle a locker room and try to finesse these things. And this is one of the reasons why with a gun to my head, I wouldn't have wanted to bring Rondo back even Mm -hmm. if I understand he can be a positive player for this team if he's put into the right-sized role. It's the question of how do you manage that within the construct of a 15-man locker room where you are playing the politics game and every Everything you need to play correctly to manage that right-sized rule. And how do you not become in love with the idea that he can help you more than what he actually can? And that's a hard thing with someone like Rondo, who clearly carries a certain amount of respect and people really do understand that he's like a smart basketball player because in talking to him and I'm sure in film rooms and walkthroughs and practices he is showing you that smarts all of the time now but to get back to the original point it's like if you're going to have Rondo on your team and you're going to have him with well with LeBron James to me the idea is let him play without LeBron James let him play with Anthony Davis let those be for you know let let him get maybe 10 or 12 minutes that way, 
right? And then maybe four or five minutes with LeBron. And then that's how you do it. And the rest of those minutes, they go to Alex Caruso, where the idea is LeBron can run things 60 to 70% of the time, and Caruso can pick up the slack for the rest of those minutes, a la like how Derek Fisher did with the Kobe Bryant Shaq Lakers or the Kobe Bryant Powell Lakers, if that makes sense. So I agree with all of that, right? And like I said, I'm playing a degree of devil's advocate, but what's going to have to ha- have to happen, and we've talked about this leading up to the season, somebody else is going to have to clearly outplay Rondo in order to traverse the political waters of Anthony Davis really respecting Rondo, LeBron James really respecting Rondo. I'm sure a guy like Jason Kidd feels similarly, right? And that they're similar type of players. Oh, that's and- Spider-Man meme. That's right. Exactly, that's exactly it. Right. And so uh, somebody's going to have to step up and, up and be like, you should clearly be playing that guy instead. And nobody has done that thus far. I would argue that Caruso's defense has been really, really good. And I hope Vogel sees that as a as a supposed defensive guy and that he would be playing a lot better if he was playing alongside rotational players rather than Zach Norvell, who's been fine, right? And Devontae Kaycock and all of these guys where you need Caruso to be the guy who creates shots for them. That is not the type of player he is. That said, in the role that Caruso has been put in, he hasn't played well. So it's hard to make the argument currently because it's more of a theoretical argument with like eight minutes of playing in the first half with rotational guys to really support the argument in the first place. So until somebody does that, that's all of those issues that you talked about and all of those reasons why it's difficult to, uh, you know, usurp Rondo from that lineup. I think this is all going to have to play out. So let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll discuss, uh, you've got a post coming out on Kyle Kuzma. How does he fit into all of this? So let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. They're time-consuming, expensive, and there's so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders to one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. And right now, Laker Film Room podcast listeners can try ShipStation for free for 60 days when you use the offer code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. So Darius, you asked me the other day for some uh, some video clips on coups uh, for a piece that you're working on over at Form Blue and Gold. Uh you know, of him basically doing wing stuff, right? Creating, uh, coming off of a screen, hitting the shot, uh, some ball screen playmaking, all of that. Uh, I- I'm curious of, you know, how far along you are in developing this idea. And just where do you think when Kuz comes back, where does he fit in now that we've seen the team play a couple of games? So I will say, say this. I think the Lakers have actually missed Kyle Kuzma. I don't know if you agree with that. I do. So I do not think they missed him much against the Warriors, but I definitely think they missed him against the Nets in China. 
how much to extrapolate like the circumstances around the kind of games is something that I've been bouncing around in my head a bunch. But even throwing that stuff out of the window, I just thought that they missed sort of another shot creator type who could score, who could do a little bit of everything with with the ball. As far as my piece about Kuzma, yeah, like all of this sort of came about because I watched a Pelicans game. <laughs> um, and I watched Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and even to a much lesser extent, but still a little bit there, Josh Hart, get out there and do things that they did for the Lakers last season. And one of the things, the way that this idea started for me was this idea that that Kuzma did that stuff too last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Lakers really don't have a player right now outside of LeBron or maybe even Anthony Davis who do a lot of those things well. So I I started to think more and more about Kuzma and if the things I remembered him being able to do actually exist on tape and, (laughs) Uh and they do. Right. And, and so the, the piece that I'm going to put out is going to highlight some of the things that I think that Kuzma can add to this this Lakers team and and things that I think truly are missing, which to a certain extent is 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 kind of versatile and in some ways dynamic wing play, because I don't mm-hmm. think the Lakers have enough of that. We just harped on and on and on about the Lakers guards and how no one really stood out amongst that group. And I know we, we highlighted a lot of point guard play, but name me a Lakers guard right now that can come off a screen and shoot a three who can maybe come off a screen showing go and get into the paint and finish anywhere from 18 feet and in either from a pull-up jumper a floater or getting all of the way to the rim to to finish with either finesse or force show me a, a laker guard now who can streak up the wing and get an outlet pass and either take that ball all the way to the basket to score for themselves or create a play for a teammate in transition the answer to that question is probably zero yeah, there isn't one. There isn't a guy. Bro, Kuzma's playmaking is so important this year because you know how we were saying earlier about Rondo and about how like that burden may fall all on LeBron's shoulders. Kuzma has this talent. He's kind of like turns it on and off of like today I'm a scorer, today I'm a passer and he needs to blend those. Not uncommon at all for a young player that has a multitude of skills to kind of go from one to the other rather than reading the defense and you know, reaching into his bag real quick and picking the one that's appropriate for that situation. But Kuzma, while not being a guard and not being a point guard, most certainly that sort of playmaking, that ability to score or pass in a given situation, that can alleviate some of those concerns and make guys like like Rondo less essential in the eyes of a guy like Vogel, right? Where you have LeBron on the court as one of the great playmakers of all time. AD is a guy who he's an okay playmaker, but his gravity is really, you know, essential to getting other guys open. And then a third guy who can pass and score at the same time is not one or the other, uh, which is really the case with a lot of the Lakers guards. They're kind of one or the other type of guys. If, if Kuzma can be that third guy, that really solves a lot of the guard issues we were talking about in the first segment. Yeah, I think if it doesn't solve it, it greatly addresses it. Yes, right? yeah, that's that's and, more accurate. And, and minimizes the need to have some of these other guys play outsized roles that you really do not want them playing, especially the point you, that you made about Alex Caruso. I think that the Lakers do not have enough primary ball handler pick and roll type guys, right? Like LeBron does it, 
at top of the league levels. Rajon Rondo can do it and does it well enough considering his limitations as a scorer. Everyone else on the team is likely going to be sort of a secondary or or third type player um, in, in terms of being a ball handler, pick and roll player. Kuzma is in that group, but the Lakers haven't had really anyone right besides Caruso. And Caruso has been put in a like LeBron type role when he's played for extensive minutes in the second half. It's like, hey, go out there and be the primary ball handler and we're going to run a lot of pick and rolls and guess who that falls on, buddy? (laughs) Right? Like, that's on you. So go out there and create some shots. And he's like, well, you know what I'm really good at is sort of standing over here and setting a flare screen and then Maybe cutting off of it, yeah. (laughs) Like, Like, I'm really good at that. You, you know, how about maybe I set a flare screen and then someone sets a back pick for me and then I go catch a lob. Like, <laughs> yeah, where's that? that been? Where's the above the rim stuff been? He's had the ball in his hands and that's, that's, you know, a lot more difficult to do when you got the eyes of the defense on you. No, you're yeah. totally right, man. Totally right. So, so there's a lot of stuff that I feel like the Lakers have been missing in this sort of, Hey, I'm not Alex Caruso, Rajon Rondo, but I'm not LeBron James or Anthony Davis. Who's that guy in the middle that can do some, some of this stuff? Because it's certainly not KCP. It's mm-hmm. certainly not Danny Green right? Those things just aren't in their games. We thought it might be in KCP's game when he first came to the Lakers. It's now been over two years. We know it's not. Yeah, he just can't dribble. Like, he makes good reads off of screens. He just can't dribble off of a ball screen. So it has to be him coming off of a handoff or something, yes. right? Or a handoff or something yes. like that. Let me let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. You're way more familiar with Quinn Cook's game than I am. Where does he fit in? Like, is it, do I have any hope that he can be that type of guard that the Lakers are, are missing now that we've seen, you know, this particular group in action? I actually don't think so, man. Like, yeah. Like, I hate to be like a wet blanket about Quinn Cook's game. Cook benefited a great amount from having versatile wings in Golden State who could do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of ball handling. And so let me tell tell you this. The player who Quinn Cook replaced ultimately in Golden State's lineup isn't Leandro Barbosa. It was Krantis' favorite player. Um, Ian Clark. Ian Clark. Right. And so Quinn Cook is more like Ian Clark. He is a guy who is probably best utilized off the ball as a spot up shooter, a quasi creator who can run a secondary pick and roll. And when guys duck under, he can then shoot the pull up three, which is valuable. But he is not a guy who is going to you're going to put the ball in his hands and he's going to organize everything for you. He just didn't play in enough lineups where the personnel around him, where that was going to be his best use. He played a lot of minutes with like Andre Iguodala or Sean Livingston or Draymond Green. All of those guys were going to start a possession with the ball in their hands and and get them and get Golden State into their motion-based offense easier than Quinn Cook was. It doesn't mean that he never did it. It just meant that the burden on him to do so was so low that I do not expect him to suddenly show a bunch of chops in that when when he gets healthy enough to play actual minutes for this team. Even if he's playing with like high level players like LeBron or Anthony Davis, where you would think yeah. that the attention they're drawing will then lessen that burden for him overall. 
my hope is along those lines, when he is playing along those high level players, he's going to be a guy who knocks down open shots, right? We do know that he can do that. I, I know he had some degree. I, I'm hoping, again, this is something, it's hope at this point, especially after seeing this group in action in terms of the guards, that he, you know, when he was in the G League, he was a top five assist guy in the G League, right? And I'm hoping that on Golden State, there were just so many guys ahead of him in terms of, we'd rather give the ball to this guy than Quinn Cook, that he maybe has some untapped chops in that respect where he just didn't have the opportunity to do it. I, I know that's less likely than it, than it is likely, but that's one of the things I'm hoping to. But I do think that, you know, he, he may be behind Caruso in terms of me advocating for them alongside LeBron and AD because Caruso is a much better defender and it looks like Caruso's jumper is for real. But Cook is a like, let it fly type of shooter, right? Yes. Meaning that like he Caruso kind of needs, you know, he needs to be squared up, needs a certain amount of comfortable distance away from the closeout. Quinn Cook can like really shoot, right? So I, I think offensively, Cook may be the best fit along those high end players like LeBron and AD, even if he's not the guy that you know, we, we, it's, it's realistic to be looking for handling the ball, as you've said, with those second unit type of groups. The thing I like about Cook, and this is a real contrast to Caruso and the let it fly point. I, like, I just want to build on that a little bit. There were a couple of threes that Danny Green took in the second China China game. He was on like sort of a quasi fast break. He dribbled in sort of to the elbow area. There was nothing real, really developing. He took three, three back dribbles and shot a three, mm -hmm. right? Like there is sort of a um, IDGAF element uh -huh. to that, uh -huh. right? Um, Cook has that, right? Caruso still like, you know, the little um, like math meme where the guy is doing math in front of his head and here's all the numbers. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Caruso still does a fair amount of that <laughs> with yes. in terms of what is the best outcome for a possession. And his idea a lot of times still is it's not me taking this three pointer. Right. right. Like there is something better to be had out out of this. Quinn Cook doesn't really have that uh, uh, like aspersion to just say, oh, but you know what? Like I'm open. You That's know? right. I'm shooting this like, oh, you gave me space. I'm shooting it like Troy Daniels is the same exact way. Like, mm -hmm. oh, oh, you're three feet away. You're bad. That's you, right. You know, like, oh, you didn't want me shooting. The ball shouldn't be in my hands. Right. Like, so. I think Cook can definitely give the Lakers some of that, which is something that they're missing from sort sort of a, a, a shooter the caliber of Cook's caliber. Now, mm -hmm. Cook is not he's he's not Clay Thompson, he's not Steph Curry. Like I don't want to oversell it, right? But Cook can be like a high 30s, 40% three-point shoe shooter on good volume mm -hmm. if he gets those those opportunities, and and I honestly think that when the ball kicks out to him or a guy ducks under a screen, if the coaches are giving him the green light, and I'm hopeful that the coaches will be giving him the green light, that he'll fire away with those, and it'll be good for the Lakers just to have mm -hmm. someone who is just like, oh, well, thanks a lot. Like you went under, too bad. I'm shooting yeah. this. Right. Be and even if those shots miss, th the thing I love about basketball, and this is a, a tangent here, but the things I love about basketball is how the thing you do on any given play sets something up for later in the game 
that you mm-hmm. can do. And the best players in the league, you will utilize this to their advantage all of the damn time. Like, oh, you thought I was going middle? Like, nope, that's a drop step. And now I'm faking that drop step and I'm going back to my strong hand, right? Like they they set up counters so well. And, Kobe, Kobe used to do that all the time. All of the time. And LeBron does it a fair amount too with mm-hmm. some of his like dribble back down and then he'll like dip that shoulder like like he's going to drop step. But instead he he explodes back to his left hand to like and gives you that right shoulder right right into your chest. And suddenly he's got a layup that's at the rim. Right. And you're like, oh, like, how did he get there? And well, he got there because he has you off balance the the entire time. One of the things that the Lakers don't have is players who have all of those tools in their basket to be able to do all of those different things. But what they do have are a bunch of different players who play slightly different enough that if you throw them out in different combinations or like now you've got Caruso and now you've got Cook and oh, well, now here's Rondo. And it's like, okay, like, We've been going under and muscle memory says we're going under on 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 this ball screen. Well, you go under and it happens to be Quinn Cook in the game. Mm-hmm. He's letting that fly. Right. That's so right. so there are things that the Lakers can do with sort of a lower talent level player that they hopefully can can turn into positives based off of those individual player strengths. But this is where getting back to Vogel, he needs to be more on top of it. Right. And I am giving him a lot of the benefit of the doubt with this because I think he's a good coach. I think he's a smart coach. I think that he is feeling a lot of things out with with preseason, long flight, China, injuries, on and on and on. Right. There, there's a lot of sort of baked in reasoning to some of the things that that we've seen. That said, as these guys start coming back, if it's still sore, sort of the same stuff, Rondo Bradley stuff, it's going to be, yeah, man, it's going to be early in the season. And we're going to be talking about him in some of the same ways that like we talked about Luke Walton. (sighs) I'm just saying, man, like, so this, this video that I'm working on right now is on a, is on the top locking that I was talking about earlier, right. With screens coming out of the corner. And a lot of times it's Avery Bradley, KCP. This is something that the stagger screens are something that Walton did a lot of. Right. And one of the suggestions that I'll, I'll be putting in it is actually a play from Luke Walton's playbook on like how to counter these top locks. One of the things that you can do, it's, we used to run this as an ATO a lot of times an after timeout play where you'd fake KCP coming out of the stack. He'd cut in between the two screeners, loop around and set a back screen on JaVale's guy. JaVale would loop back and it'd be a lob for JaVale at the rim. And it worked probably eight out of 10 times, right? It was one of his better plays. But I'm sitting here thinking, and this is probably unfair because this is just a well-designed play anyway. But I'm like, I'm going to be making this video being like, you know, using Luke Walton as the X's and O's guy that you should be, you know, modeling yourself after. That's probably a bad thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and so, look, man, you said the flight, the all the crap that went on with China and Daryl Morey and all of that, the injuries probably being at the top of this list. I, I have some sort of grace for that. Um I just feel like even with all of those factors, he's kind of off on the wrong track in terms of your question of how he deploys guys, even factoring in all of that stuff. Some of that is political. Some of that is like, you know, he, he mentioned in in camp at one of the media availabilities that I was at that he was planning on using Bradley to come off of screens. And this wasn't like 
because we have guys injured or just for a couple yeah. of games that this is how I plan on using Avery Bradley. And I'm like, bro, have you watched Avery Bradley? You know, like this yeah. is not the type of player that he is. And I just want to see guys like being put in the position to do what they do well. And there's been a lot of that between and Caruso, not do what they like. Right. right? Like, like, those like, those different things. Absolutely. So when you've got all of these guys like Caruso on too many ball screens, Danny Green is on the move too much. Avery Bradley is being used as a shooter coming out of staggers. Uh, a lot of post-ups, man, a lot of post-ups in China on uh, with Anthony Davis or LeBron James. Um, they run a lot of like one down or three down, which is basically a post-up play where it's similar to how they post up Draymond in Golden State, where you're not asking that guy to be the primary scorer, but you're going to run your split cuts off of it and different type of action in order to, uh, in, in order to, uh, you know, get guys open. Um, but still way too many post-ups there, you know, shooting way too much from mid range and all that. There's just kind of all of these, not red flags, but I want to say yellow flags, you know what I mean? That have yeah. happened in these first few games, even accounting for all of the injuries, travel and all of the China craziness. One of the things that I will say, and I think that this cuts both, both ways. He is allowed like players who kind of enjoy the mid range a little bit too, too much to, to sort of be totally happy going to the mid range a bunch. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Avery Bradley is one such guy. Rondo hasn't taken a bunch of mid range jumpers, but and in fact, I can't even recall any at all, but, but he sort of lived in that sort of in between area offensively. And he's, He's taken a few, by the way, off of those ball screens where they completely abandon him. Like, yes. he'll shoot that little elbow pull up. And he, Rondo is a much better shooter when his feet are set. If you get him on a move, on the move, I would estimate his percentages drop a good 15, 20%. So he has taken a few of those. And yeah, we're like third most frequent mid range jumpers in the preseason. It's the preseason, of course. But to your point, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, and LeBron and AD are going to take those shots too, and and so the the number from those guys is just sort of like okay, well, that's LeBron and Anthony Davis. Like we're just going to live with those. Mm -hmm. You you know what I mean? But but when it comes to a guy like Avery Bradley or even KCP, who is fond of taking that pull up J when he comes off a stagger screen and curls into the eighteen foot range, he is. He is more than happy to take that pull up Jay then than he is to attack the front of the rim, right? Where mm -hmm. he might curl hard, get to the front of the rim, and then when help comes, like kick the ball out. Mm -hmm. That's not his game. And so this is where it's like some of the design is where I am like, hmm, I'm not exactly sure about some of this design, right? Because if you're running a bunch of stagger and wide pin down actions that are designed to, to sort of put the defense in the position where they're going to either top lock and then force the back cut, or if they're going to lock and trail, well, lock and trail means you're not coming off of that screen to shoot a three pointer, right? Mm -hmm. You you're going to have to curl into that mid well, well, into that mid-range area. And if you have too many guys who are more than happy to take that shot, then I'm sorry, like that's bad design because yeah. you were enabling the worst out of your players. Like it's one thing if you've got like a DeMar DeRozan type or, or Kevin Durant 
or a Clay Thompson who is just like, oh, well, these guys are such good shooters. Those those mid range shots are basically like like 40 to 45 percent shots. And you can live with those based off of the value that they're going to give you from all other parts of the floor. Right. But. When it's KCP or Avery Bradley or Rajon Rondo or even to a certain extent, Danny Green, like that's just not the shot you want those guys taking with any sort of consistency. And we've Mm -hmm. seen it too much early this preseason. And I don't know if like getting Quinn Cook and and, um, and getting Kyle Kuzma back Mm -hmm. and getting Dudley back or if Alex Caruso played more with the first group. I don't know if those are things that change. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no. like things can definitely be different, but if these are going to be core aspects of, of your offensive scheme, then it's going to be tricky in order to be efficient being a high or even mid volume, mid range jump shot shooting team. Yeah, no, that, I'm on the same page with all that. Um, this was fun. I think we've watched the last of Anthony Davis in the preseason. So I'm going to try very hard to not draw too much in the way of conclusions uh, from these last three games, especially this one coming up on Monday night where I hope none of the regulars play. Uh, but yeah, this we got a little taste uh, of some of the things that the Lakers will do well. LeBron and Anthony Davis on the floor together are like a plus 18 and a half net rating or something nuts like that. I think it's easy to, like a lot more of the Lakers' weaknesses are exposed in the prison because those guys are playing like 12 to 18 minutes because it's the preseason and in the regular season, they will not be off the court as much as they are. There is a domino effect onto all of those guys that you were talking about who are going to be so dependent. Like you said, we have so few guys who's really being the only one that are in between being absolute superstars and being completely dependent on somebody else to get a quality shot. Kuz is the only guy that's like somewhere in the middle of those two. Uh, Those guys who are dependent are really going to suffer when AD is out, when LeBron's out and especially when both guys are out. So I think these last three preseason preseason games are fairly meaningless, but we did get a taste with the first three. So um, looking forward to see where where we go with this, uh, but they do have a good amount of work in front of them. The good news is a lot of it they're going to be able to clean up if they make the right decisions. But until then, uh, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast, and we will catch you guys next time. Ains has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Campbell in and out. The ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, an amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I know... Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple and a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Ryan 
spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. Brian, yes, and that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me?